Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, changemakers, and entrepreneurs. This is a conversation episode where a special guest shares with me what they are creating and the behind the scenes journey of their experience. India Ari has had a 20-year career so far, and during that time, she has sold over 10 million albums worldwide, won four Grammys, been nominated for over 20, and yet, despite the outer successes of her career, she has had a deeply spiritual and transformative journey through it. So we got connected a few months ago, and I was absolutely delighted that India agreed to have this conversation with me because... Her story and her journey has such gold. And for any of you who, like I do, love her music and love her voice, it's a real treat to get to know a little bit more of the woman behind the music. So I hope you enjoy India Ari in conversation with me for Impact the World. India, thank you so much for being here on Impact the World. It is truly a delight to have you. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. So one of the most interesting things for me in the last couple of weeks coming up to this interview with you is when I mentioned it in our team meeting about a week ago, everyone was like, oh, I love her. And then uh. I have a few different friends who um, just mentioned what I'm doing this week. And I said, oh, I'm really excited. I'm getting to talk to India this week. And they're like, oh, I love her. So you inspire, <laughs> you inspire this beautiful appreciation for everything that you do. And I mean, you've had quite the impact on the world. You know, the show is called Impact the World. And for 20 years now, you have been impacting the worlds of so many people. And it's been lovely to see that so deeply personally in people that I know. Did you know when you were little that this was part of your path and part of your design? Or is it a surprise to you? (laughs) Uh, First of all, thank you for telling me all that. I love to hear that I'm I have goodwill out there in the world. Um, no, when I was little, no. I didn't even think that, I haven't thought about this in so long. When I was little, I didn't think that I was the right type of person to be a professional um, singer. Because I had a deep voice and I didn't look like the people on TV. And so I just thought, because a person like me be famous, but it wasn't a real thought. It was just like a, People like me don't, that's why, rep- that's why we say representation matters because you need to see people like you doing things. And so there was just a thing that I just believed, it, but I wasn't dreaming of being a, a famous singer, but my whole family sang, it's just, we all sang. And so it was just natural. And I realized at some point that I could sing better than other kids, <laughs> but it still wasn't like, this is what I'm going to dedicate my life to. And I'm going to start training at 12. It wasn't anything like that. But when I turned When I graduated high school, my mother told me she would kill me if I didn't go to college. And so I went to college to art school to be an art history minor and a jewelry metalsmith major. Because I love jewelry. I love small scale. I I love jewelry. I can do a whole podcast about jewelry. But so um, when I got there, I realized how much I really missed music because I took music classes all through high school, middle school and elementary school. But it wasn't like a my mother took me on Friday and it was just part of school. And so I didn't look at it like, I didn't realize I would miss it when I graduated. And so I got to a visual art college and maybe like three months in, I just 
started writing songs. I never wrote songs. I never thought about it really. My mother was a songwriter and a singer. So I saw her doing it, but it wasn't like, I want to do that too. But when I got to college, something, it just kind of all came together and I had things I wanted to say. And I was having all this emotional awakening. And as a singer and a writer, like I was a writer, but not a songwriter. And then I was in this visual art school. So it was like, I felt like I had to fight my way back to my music. And that's the first time that I started thinking, I was probably 19 or 20 at that time. I started thinking that music was what I would love to do with my life, but it's still like, who thinks they're going to be a professional singer? Like who really goes like, I'm going to do like, you know, it's kind of like a fantasy. I mean, it's not now, it's definitely not a fantasy, but like then it was like a fantasy to think that I could, but I just knew music was what I wanted to do, what I always did. I missed it. And so when I got into college, I, wrote these songs and sang them at a coffee shop and everybody stood up when I finished the first one and they like asked me to sing another one. So I sang the second one that I had written and then they stood up again. So I sang the third one and then I was like, that's all I have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I knew then that it was, pro- that I just needed to go ahead and pursue it. So I tried to go back home. I went to Savannah College of Art and Design and I tried to go back home to Atlanta and transfer to a school where I could be part of the music scene and go to college. And they wouldn't give me my transcripts. And so I just asked my mom, just give me, let me just take a chance to do this. Hmm. And she thought about it. And the next morning she said, I don't want you to be like me and your aunts where we just sing in the kitchen and we sing at church. I think you should really give this a chance. And she reminds me all the time that I started making my own money in six months. (laughs) It wasn't a lot, but I was making my own. I got enough to buy a car. Um, She bought it and then I had to pay her back, but I, I was doing it just by making music. And so... I mean, I think 20 is really young to think, to know what you want to do with your life. But it wasn't kid, but a kid like 20, I, I knew that I wanted to try. And then very quickly, people were trying to sign me and coming to fly to see me sing my songs. And it was all weird. I didn't trust anyone. And I finally just took a leap and did it at some point. Signed a deal. <laughs> it was probably like four years after sitting under the trees in Savannah. I was on tour with Sade. Yeah, and your first album sold over 3 million copies, right? That's what they say. <laughs> I don't yeah. even really know. <laughs> no, well, I, I was doing a little research and I was, because I was also trying to get perspective. So first of all, I love that you talk about jewelry and art because the visual beauty in your work is so present, like from, 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 from day one with all your videos. And, and we'll talk more later about Crazy and Sacred Space, which just, Thank you. Uh, it's just gorgeous. And you released that this, this year. But um, one of the things that I was wondering about, you know, because I've read a lot of interviews of, especially for women, and also, as you say, you were, you know, you were under, underrepresented at that time. Like you're a woman of color, you have this big success and you're a woman in the music industry 20 years ago. And I, I thought, God, what was that like for her? The, 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 the impact of going out quickly and going out fast. And in, in your early 20s, which is when most of us still are trying to figure out who the hell we are, you're suddenly doing it under the glare and the spotlight and... Uh, yeah, the appreciation, but also the shadow side that can come with that. How, what was that like as a rite of passage? I thought that the hard part was making the album, which took me two years to do. And back then it felt like forever because I didn't know if I was going to 
be able to do it. So two years is a long time when you don't know if you're going to succeed at all. And then that was 22, 23, making that album. And then it came out and that's when everything really got hard because the amount of movement and travel and the like the amount of energy and people that are around and then you literally are, literally are supposed to not have a hair out of place or to mm. pronounce a word wrong or it was so much. And I remember being on an airplane and writing in my journal that I didn't like it. I was like, I don't like this, all this moving and flying. And it wasn't that I didn't like it mentally. It was like my body didn't like it. Mm. And I didn't know. It took me many years to even under to even hear anyone talk about what it meant to be a sensitive person or to be an empath. I used to just be like, I would ask people, how does everybody else do concerts and they get up and go to breakfast in the morning and I have to lay down till Tuesday? How, what is this? I would be asking people whenever I would meet people who I thought were wise or people who did spiritual work. And I would just be asking all the time, like, what is this? Why are they like that? And I'm like this. Because I just didn't um, respond well to all the movement and the, and the talking. Like, because, you know, people want to talk to you. And they sometimes run up behind you and touch you and you don't know they're coming. And uh, people are sometimes like very emotional. I didn't know how to, I don't, I didn't, I have learned over the years, but back then I didn't know how to administer to someone who was bawling their eyes out in the airport. I would just go, oh, 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 what do do you do? And so it was so, so much. And then at the end of that year, the Grammys came around and I didn't, my album was big, but it wasn't that big. And then when the Grammys came around, it surprised everyone and I got seven nominations. And I think I had the most nominations of anyone that year. There might've been someone else, but I got the most and there was one person under me. So they like pitted us against each other. And then she won everything and I won nothing. And that was my introduction to like the politics and really my introduction to the darker side of how people can be. Mm. Cause I just didn't know. So I was thinking that, Album, making the album was the hard part. Then I thought the, the travel was the hard part. And then I realized that the hard part is really just dealing with people and um, the politics of everything and how we treat each other. Because it's all magnified in the music industry because there's so much money and power involved. People just do things they would never do in their everyday life. So I didn't know any of that about people. I didn't know somebody could say, my son is five years old. He loves listening to your music but I'm not going to play it on my radio station. Like you can forget about that. Like I didn't know people would actually do that. It's not new to me now, of course. Um, But that part is what makes it. Like for me, the music industry is a necessary evil Mm -hmm. because it's the only vehicle to get where you're going. I mean, it's changing now because of the internet, but still, People need to know your music is there, even if your music is great, but they don't know that it's there. Like there's still that marketing will that you need a lot of money for and things like that. And so we're all figuring out new ways. But that first, um, to answer your question, that first um, initiation was really hard. And I've been, feel like I've been processing it at different levels all this time. I had a big clearing about it back in 2009, about 10 years ago. And I came, I thought I was going to retire. And I came back into my career, deciding that I tried everything except for just being me. Just fully just be me. Don't say no if it's no. Say yes when it's yes. Tell people, be quiet, roll your eyes, whatever you have to do. Tell them, you know, 
ask for what you want, you know, all the stuff, just, just be me. And so for the last 10 years, I've been doing that. It's a lot more work, but it feels better at night when I lay down and I don't have ulcers now and I don't have uh, depression and all the stuff that was coming up. So that initiation was harsh, 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 (laughs) very. And the thing that made it really crazy was that I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. Mm. No one understood. Now, my mother was always like my person. and She didn't get it at all. So she would just be like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, and I think also (laughs) the perception that we have. So, you know, I remember I was in a workshop, uh, in a self-growth workshop. And I think that was the first time I heard you. I would have been about 25, so I'm 44. It's about 19 years ago. So I was 25 because I'm 44. <laughs> right, okay. So, so yeah, I heard your, your voice. Maybe I was a little older, but I remember your voice came in. Um, actually, I must have been older because the song was I'm Ready for Love, and that didn't come out as early. It did. did. It? it did, yes. It came out in 2001. Great. So that's how I, I heard it because I also just saw that recently on your 2013. Oh, no, I'm thinking of I'm Light. Anyway, yes. I, won't, yes. I won't go through your whole discography right now. But, <laughs> um, but I remember that that song and those words found me at the, you know, just the right time when I too was trying to be ready for love and open for love and get over my own self, really what was self-hatred and shame about being gay and all that stuff that I had to unpack. Um, and, and that song found me. And so my perception of you at that time would have been, oh, lucky India. She's out there making record. You know, she's, she's got the... So I think that's the tricky thing too. When you have success in your career, you're the commodity that people then start to feel should just be delighted about it because that's the narrative that we're all being sold. Whereas actually we often don't think, oh, the commodity that is giving me this wonderful experience, how are they feeling? How are they doing today? What's the kickback that they're getting from all of this attention and psychic energy coming at them that... So I think, you know, and I think now we have more understanding of that, but 20 years ago. And the other thing I thought about with you, and and I was struck by this, because you're a very beautiful woman. And when I was watching some of your videos again from 20 years ago, and I was just thinking about you in that time, I thought, well, number one, women are objectified way more than men. And their women's women's beauty and appearance is, is, is really critical and certainly was 20 years ago. And I remember hearing, I think it was Tori Amos or somebody saying, oh, they wouldn't play my records because I was told they already had one woman in that slot for an hour. And I never understood when I would look at like Rolling Stone or Q Magazine in the UK, they'd say the top 50 albums and there'd be like three women. And I'd be like, you know, I was biased to women's voices. So I'd be like, where are the women? Why is this like a man's club? But 20 years ago, we were still, I mean, it's still there now, but it's, it is changing, thankfully. But yeah, it must have been quite the thing to live through. I mean, I think the other thing about it is that there's a woman's box that they put you in. And then if you're a black woman, there's a black woman's box that yeah. they put you in. So yeah. it was like, you know, I came in right in time when it was in style to be a certain type of black woman. So they were calling us neo-soul. None of us put that name on ourselves. That's what they called our genre. We were called neo-soul. And so we were the in thing for a minute there. So I came to the industry right in time to catch that wave. And then once that was over, it was like, we can have one black woman here, like one. And so it's still kind of what you see today. Um, Cause even when you think of the woman box, 
the woman box usually gets given to a white artist. That's true. Yeah. That's and true. then there may be a black one, maybe, but she has to really capture people. Mm-hmm. So, but that's the politics. And that's kind of what happened when I went to the Grammys that year where I learned like, this is not about the music mm-hmm. and it's not even about the artists themselves. It's about the record executives and how much power they have. Mm-hmm. And you know, the record executives are generally, generally all white men. So they're going to look at women through those eyes. Like what do, what, you know, what do they think is attractive? What do they, is this woman, you know, the male gaze, the rich, powerful male gaze. And so it trickles down to, you're going to get less marketing dollars depending on what this male gaze says you're valuable for. Right. And so we know, cause when you really can see people, you see beauty in them in a lot of different ways. Not that everyone is beautiful to you, but you see beauty and diversity when you really see people. But that's not how the world is. And this is definitely not how the music industry is. And so for me, I didn't fit. No matter how young and beautiful I was and how interesting my clothes were and how my music, how it touched people, I didn't fit. And so it started making me feel like this, I'm in this world that's not meant for me. But it's the only vehicle I have to get in this car. And so I, w- I did have a lot of success, especially given all the check marks against me. <laughs> I've had a lot of success. And even now I have to kind of like giggle about it because I see a lot of artists who are not free. And I'm free, pretty much, I'm free. I do what I want, I make the music I wanna make, I own my publishing. I'm on a label where I have a partnership and I, it's a wonderful, like very ethical business model, finally. But, um, it didn't feel good going through all that stuff in the moment, but I like where I am now. And if it had to be that way, I would, I don't want to do it again. <laughs> Nobody wants to be 25 again. Yeah. But no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. no, thanks. No, but I like where I am. I like where I am in, in business wise speak. I mean, I like where I am in a lot of other ways too, which is speaking about the business. Yeah. I know. Cause I know a lot of those people and they are not free. Yeah. And I'm free and I get to put albums out. And so it was a shock last year when I had a number one and a number three song. We were like, what? Like, what? Like, I had a, a hit at radio. It was so funny. So okay. I'm free. I'm 20 years into my career. I'm with the ethical company. I own my publishing. I control the rights to these recordings. And I have a hit song at radio. Mm-hmm. So it's, I'm under, you know, the older you get, the more you're able to put things into perspective. Yeah. And so I'm seeing it in perspective now, and I'm at peace with my journey mostly. Um, This whole, the new, the recent Black Lives Matter protest stirred up some stuff in me. That's a different conversation too. But I, the boxes and who they say is allowed to be success and who they choose and who they press down and who they lift up and it doesn't have anything to really do with your how good you are it's like who chooses you and the chooser is a very narrow demographic that is the chooser you know and so i had to as you may know the mo- one of the most common themes in my music is self-healing and self-love and so it's like that because of all the stuff I 
came through in my youth and my childhood. And so I start writing songs. I'm writing songs about the things that I, I need to learn and that I want to say. But the music industry made me need to sing it more. <laughs> it was like healing from all these other things and healing from the disappointment in humanity, healing from the awakening around how people look at women, like just all the healing that's always needed. Yep. So it's been interesting being in an industry that I am also critiquing in my music and getting to a place where it's, I'm actually a free person who is successful too. It's a good, it's, it's turned out well. Yeah, <laughs> Mostly. it really has. But you know what's funny? You, you have your music video, Little Things, which is a great video. <laughs> and it's, I think Little Things is what, 2001? 2000, it's almost- It was my second album, so it's probably 2003 or two or okay. three. Okay. Three, so, 2003. Yeah. The album's so, called Voyage to India. Yeah. So anybody who's a fan of India's who hasn't seen that video in a while or doesn't remember this part, it really struck me when I was watching that again the other day. There's this brilliant scene where you're on some plastic television show in the song <laughs> and you're being interviewed by somebody and, you know, she is very much the typical plastic presenter. And at one point during the interview, this ladybug or ladybird, as we say in England, <laughs> lands on your finger and you just focus on it and you become so entranced with it. You forget about her and she's all confused and you leave the studio. And that's my favorite part of the video. You leave the studio and you, you're really free. You're walking down the street. But I was watching it. I was like, Wow, this was so ahead of its time. Not even the disengaging with the plastic um, industry, which was ahead of its time then, but it was more the way you're styled, the way you're dressed, and what you're representing. I'm like, if this came out now, everyone would go, oh, cool, really woke video, perfect. But back <laughs> then, we didn't really have much of that. And at the very end, and I don't know how intentional this was, you watch you don't turn into an angel exactly, but as you're walking away, the shape of your dress and, and the dress turns to pink from white, there's like these angel wings. And I'm like, oh, that was really cool. And it was very ahead of its time. Thank you. Yeah. I think there's like nine things come to mind when you talk about the song Little Things, because when I wrote it, it was right after the Grammys. And one of the things I said in the song was, I do this for the love of music, not for the statues of gold. That's what I said when I wrote it. And then people were like, you can't put that in there. Don't say that. So the song says, not for the glitter and gold. Okay. And so. Because they me, didn't want was, you to not get those awards. That's why. Right. Because if you, if you yeah. right, they might not give it to you, which they still didn't. <laughs> still didn't. Um, but I, I, it's funny because, oh, that's not true. Actually, I did end up winning that next year, whole other conversation again. Right. But I feel like, I hear that a lot. Like people are like, you're like ahead of, ahead of the time. But I don't, obviously I don't think about that when I'm doing stuff to me, I'm like, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I want people to know. And I really, music for me is a spiritual work. And I, I literally pray for my songs. And I literally pray intention into them. Like I'll talk out loud. Okay, I want this one to be a song that will help anybody who feels like nobody knows what they're going through. Like I'm, you know, like I'd be sitting at my table, like really praying for my songs. Really, really do. And I, and also it's become a formula because I find when I don't pray first, nothing comes out. Mm. So um, I call it my song recession practice. And so I'd like get myself into a place and I pray for my songs. And I just sing what I hear after that. And it's frustrating, but also really 
um, cool to know that if it came out now, it would be like really in. Um, but it's also frustrating because there's so much that I want to say um, about what's happening now, just current times, or even last year, even 2016, so much that I wanted to say. But I'm like, I already wrote that song. <laughs> Am I supposed to write another? You know, so then I would like try to push the song out on social media or just, you know, push it out. But it's still not the same. But I am learning what I'm going through on a personal level right now is um, trusting that wherever the music's supposed to be, it'll go and, and relinquishing any desire to control that. I can't control anything. Mm. I just keep doing what I do. And through the quarantine, I wasn't feeling inspired at all. I just wanted to rest. I was really tired from 2019. And then I started thinking, maybe I don't write songs anymore. Like, I don't know. I still haven't written anything all year. So I don't, I don't know. I assume that I'll come back to music because it is my passion. But it's not as clear what I want to say these days. Because I, I, I said a lot of the things that would, I would still say now. Now, well, asking a- myself... Yeah, after you. Okay. I was going to say there is a timelessness and a classic. Like I, I know that James Taylor is is like a an important um, songwriter, oh, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. And, and and you two are so similar in that way to me. Like you know, James's work for me is very cl- like could be any time, just classic, That's and right. really and and so you have the same thing and. And so it's interesting because, you know, yes, if the music industry was the bridge that got you into all of our hearts, it worked because that response that I was getting about you, it's like people love you. It's like, they, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I love her. And I, you know, I, when I was looking at your, some of your videos, I just loved this quote from YouTube. And it was underneath Crazy in Sacred Space, which I'd love to talk to you about in a minute. Um, and it said, India RE went from woke girl to soul sister to earth mother. Mm. And there is something very powerful about taking a journey with an artist. Like, you know, yeah, first of all, you have to be old enough to do that, I guess. So this won't really <laughs> apply for anyone in their 20s. But what I can vouch for is, you know, at 44, seeing sacred space and crazy that it's so basically for anyone who hasn't seen it yet we're going to put the link to this underneath the interview as well as uh, the link for india's website but um it's a it's a it's a short movie basically that takes two of your songs and it's this journey and i was so moved when i saw it and it was very powerful for me to also have spent 20 years with you and to to have that growth journey with you through these songs so yeah, I think all of your, you know, any of your songs could be played now. And Thank you. said, oh, this just came out and people would be like, oh, that's really cool. So I, I don't know if you do need to reinvent the wheel, but one thing that really <laughs> hit me about the timing of the release of Crazy and Sacred Space is it was right before all of the protests began and more of the murders happened. And it was, it was, it was very interesting that you put that out, that such a positive glowing image right before a load of this other crap that, you know, I kind of feel gets orchestrated and inflated in in all ways that are very unhealthy um, started. It was like a really important bomb that was needed. And somebody wrote here on YouTube, um, I love that she depicts us black men as protectors and guardians of the hearts of black women. 
because mm. we do exist and we are out there. Mm. And I, I thought, yeah, I mean, just, so we'll talk about the video in a moment, but for you, it's interesting that that timing, I feel, happens organically anyway. I feel like you were so meant to put that video out then because it, it was really needed as a kind of counterbalance to, to the, the trauma that followed. You said, uh, you said a few things that sparked a few things. I finally have gotten to a place in the last three years or four years or so where one, I don't, I don't hide um, who I am. What do I, how do I say this? I don't hide my spiritual life anymore. There are things I keep private, but I don't hide it anymore. Because a bigger part of that conversation is having to hide anything to be palatable to uh, as many people as possible. And so I was always told to be careful not to alienate the Christians, basically, because mm-hmm. most people in our society are Christian. Most of my fans, I think, would be Christian or whatever, especially back then. People are now awakening to understand that you can be spiritual and Christian and all kind of things. But it yeah. certainly wasn't like that 20 years ago, not for me. And so there was that part of me that had to hide certain things. And so like some people have to hide their sexuality or whatever. The thing I hid was how I expressed my spirituality. And so, but the specifics of that aside, the fact that I would live a life where I was hiding anything is something that I just am not willing to do. I keep private what I want to keep private, but also if there are things that I want to say, I say them. But that's just comes, I feel that that comes with maturity and making choices, knowing that consequences and being willing to deal with whatever it is. And so with uh, Crazy and Sacred Space, I finally was ready to make a video that showed me inside some of my spiritual practices actually doing them. And so when Reverend Michael, who I asked, he's who married us in the video, Reverend Michael Beckwith from Agape, when he came, he said, are you going to actually be doing actual yoga asana? And I was like, we're doing yoga on this camera today. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, that was my own personal balm. Like, no, I'm really going to make the video I want to make. And then because I, with a company that is ethical and who respects me now, um, I was in the same record deal for 17 years and I just got out of it in 2017. And so being with a company that like respects me and that does ethical business is so new for me. And so the, the single they chose was the song crazy. Mm -hmm. But what I have seen is um, in concert and especially all of my very spiritual friends, sacred space is their favorite one on the album. And it was the one that would just, bring the room to a certain place whenever we sang it in concert. And so I asked them, can I just get a little more money? I'll make two videos for one. <laughs> and they let me do that. And then um, I ended up deeper in the editing process than I ever imagined I would be. And I was able to edit it into this short film, which is something I never thought I would do. It was not anything that I ever felt like I was um, allowed to do as an artist who was in control who was controlled by a record label and you know you have to sell 10 million albums to make a short film you can make a video but you can't make a short film you have to be you know a plus star like the way the boxes they try to put you in and so there's a lot of freedom inside of crazy sacred space for me a lot 
Um, and then the timing, yeah, I had to admit in hindsight that I think it was the perfect time to, because it took a long time to put together. It's one of the most stressful projects I've ever done. And that is saying a lot because the music industry is full of stressful moments and projects and flights and scheduling. And it can be very, very stressful. This one was stressful because I, it took 300 hours plus of editing, but I didn't know I was going to edit it. And I've never edited anything. It just didn't look right. And so I jumped in and did it. And so if somebody said you have a 300 hour project coming up, okay. But to be like, yeah, I did this video. It's going to come out in two weeks. And then you have a 300 hour project. Yeah. It was like, but I did it because I care that much about the people in the video and I wanted their skin to look right. I wanted the video to feel right and to read right. And so I did it. And so it was very stressful. And I was very upset with the director, very. And, but um, we, sh we shot it February 27th and 28th up in Topanga Canyon. And the editing was done April 25th. And so I had no idea it was going to be anything like that. But then when it came out, in hindsight, right between in quarantine and before the protest and like you called it that bomb when it came out in that window in hindsight i had to admit like all of it was what it was needed to be even the editing even me learning how to edit even the delay and the everything even the fact that i rushed out to la and was like we need to do it this week because right that was right before people started really talking about covid19 i remember coming home on the plane february 4th and being like maybe i should have the mask because nobody had masks and it wasn't like that yet. People were talking about it. And so it was just in time. And so if, if the stress had to come with the waiting and the rushing and the travel and the editing for it to be right in that window, for me, it was all worth it because I feel like it was the right time too. And it was the right time for me too, because I got really quiet during the quarantine, mm. really, really quiet. I felt guilty at first because... I'm supposed to be a person who sings to people and sings songs that will help them feel good and what I'm supposed to be. And not that anybody put that on me, but that's how I feel I'm seen. Then I remembered I'm also the person who doesn't talk for days on end and who loves actual silence and who stays in the house as much as I travel. And, who, and so I finally just I actually wrote a note <laughs> in my phone that was like, Thank you, because everybody was asking me to go live and to go live on their channel and to sing and everybody, everybody. Yeah. And I, I wrote a note that said, thank you for asking me. You know, I love you. I would do this for you if I could. But right now I'm resting. Ask me in two months. Mm -hmm. Because there was so much. So I, would just copy and, I would copy and paste it. Yeah. And I would like maybe put their name on it. Because I didn't just want to not answer. But I also, I didn't want to feel like I was forced into being something that I'm not. And I'm sure you know that because of the, not that I'm not, but I'm in a place of transition. So I'm mush. I'm like the butterfly who's mushy in the cocoon at this moment. And so I don't know what I am. And so I can't be what you think I am right now is how it felt. And so I'm sure that you know that a lot of people are feeling that way because of the work you do. Yeah. But I just now, like maybe literally three days ago, started feeling like ideas. Mm. Before that, I was just... Mm. You know, so putting the vid in and when the protest started, I went from like, mm, I'm home. It's good to mad and sad and feeling a lot of anxiety and having to take naps and being like, 
I did a live on my own Instagram and there's an image of me like right before, as I'm pushing record and I just, my eyes are just like, I'm mad. You can see that I'm like sad and mad. There's a thing. And I just was like, I'm not down. We're not at a TV studio. I don't have to go. Hi, everybody. I don't have to do anything. So I just pushed the button and talked. And so the crazy sacred space coming right in between was important for me too. Because if the protest had started, I would have, I think I would have waited. Yeah. And I would have maybe been waiting till now. Because I literally just started feeling some sense of being grounded days ago. Days ago. So it was the right window for me. And I think it was the right window for everyone else to, and the editing. I'm glad I did it. Yeah. In hindsight. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, video editing, it's the, it's the, if you don't know about video editing, people have no idea, like, it's the biggest time suck, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's insane. It's mad, yeah, but, but you know what's funny is, it's interesting, I, I totally get you saying it wasn't the right time for me, I also, there was like a fight or flight jump on the bandwagon, everybody's got to do something like now, which wasn't true either. You know, for a lot of people, it was just like a lot of, a lot of like um, mis- misdirected fight or flight energy. I'm not criticizing mm. anyone who did it, but mm-hmm. it was a lot of that. Oh my God, we've all got to do a, a summit quickly. Um, mm-hmm. so I don't really ascribe to that. I'm like, if you feel compelled to do a summit, you're the person to do the summit, but you don't need to drag everyone else with you, especially not if you're not coming from a grounded or centered place. So I, I admire you for doing that, but I also just want to point out you did it because that video that I shared on several Facebook pages and with friends, I got a huge response. And I also saw the beautiful harmony version that you did with some of your friends. And that was just stunning that you did on Facebook. So to, from my perspective, you were out there. You weren't necessarily talking but you you didn't need to because the job you were doing for so many of us was 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 bringing healing and and that was very evident through your creations so Thank you. yeah yeah you know when we first got on this live and you said that a lot of everyone said oh i love her and i said thank you for telling me that i really meant that because i don't ever ever know how anybody takes anything i do mm-hmm. because i don't think about them when i'm writing and you, and you can't do that because it will stunt you you can't because you can't make everybody like anything. So you have to put all the outside energy aside and do what you're doing. And so when people say, all my friends said they love you, I really meant thank you because I, I don't know. And I didn't see it that way until you just said it that way. So thank you for saying that. And people say that, India, from their heart. That's why I'm relaying <laughs> it to you because, you know, you know the difference. And, you know, when you work in a field where you're putting work out into the world, you meet a lot of other people who do that you have that coming at you sometimes. So I know the difference. And with you, it was like, oh man, she's, she's got a whole lot of people in love with her, which is oh. great. You know, and I'm, and I'm not surprised because I think, I think because <laughs> you bear your soul and you offer your soul through your work and you let that be the conduit for your work, I think that's why people are so touched. So thank um, you. I realize for anyone watching or listening, if you haven't seen Crazy in Sacred Space, go check it out because Crazy is just this beautiful love story. It's kind of like the fantasy relationship that we all, you know, we're, oh, that looks, you know, it's like great. It, it's gorgeous. It's got, it's got Michael, <laughs> Reverend Michael Bernard Beck within it too. But then I have to say for me, oh my God, going from that into Sacred Space, I was really enjoying the video. 
And then all of a sudden I was kind of like, what is happening now? Because the, the song and the, the soul world that part two or the second half of the video conveys mm -hmm. is so deeply moving and anybody who sees it will, will feel it. So I, I know we've already spoken to you about it. There's a lot I want to ask you about. I would love to hear more about your experience of this new business relationship because music and business, art and business, that's something I've navigated. It's something I teach people. To how, how do we form, a, like you said, an ethical relationship between those two? So is there anything that you could share about maybe the joys or some of the challenges the last few years of, of, of kind of reclaiming your sovereignty when it comes to business? Mm. I want to tell you two things. I always have two things. Oh, you see me looking down to the side because you're saying things that I want to come back to. So I just write like little notes when I'm looking down. Good. Um, um, this whole thing of regaining my sovereignty has been, is a process I'm still in. Because what we know as you know, people on spiritual journey the thing that enslaves you is your mind. And I'm still discovering things and like pulling the veil back on things. Hmm. Like um, just the other day, uh, um, someone from my label said he wanted to chat with me on the phone and I don't talk to them. You know, we talk on set of the video or something like that. They talk through my manager. We don't just get on the phone. I don't with the label. And he had a creative idea. And as we were on the phone, I was like, and I kept telling him, this is so cool. Like to be having a conversation about a creative idea with somebody from the label. And he was like, no, we rock with you. Like he's, those were his words. We rock with you. What? No, <laughs> no. I will call you more if I could. And I was like, well, you, well, you can. You know, you could call me anytime. Like, you could shoot me a text and say, look at this artist that I saw in Africa or anything, anytime. But it was like, oh, right. I'm not 25 anymore. I'm not a person who's afraid to express myself. I don't have a problem expressing myself. I don't have a problem finding the right words to say things. I don't get like sweaty and clammy when I have to talk to a person who I think is in power. I don't have any of that. Like, so the 44-year-old India is willing to have a conversation with anyone about anything, even if we disagree. But when you put record label on it, then it goes, well, I don't talk to them. You know, and so I'm, like, it keeps happening. And I said it to him at the end of the call. I said, thank you for just being a great person. And then I was like, of course he's a great person. Why do I think that all record label people are jerks? You know, that was my experience, you know? And so, <clears throat> I'm having that personal experience of like, no, I can make a short film. No, I can call the label. No, I can tell them I have this pet project I want to do. And can we talk about it? And how much money can we open up the budget? Like I can do these things. I can just call. Hmm. And then also there's the creative part where like one of the things I want to do is a reimagining of Stevie Wonder songs, not remakes, reimaginings. Wow. And so, right. And so creatively or spiritually, that sounds wonderful because the stories he tells and the spiritual ideals he teaches us about in the songs, it doesn't matter what kind of music you put around it. Yeah. Or I mean, it matters, but what if you put this music around these words? Like, that's what I want to do. But 
I always see things that have like that real strong spiritual element to them and record label as you can't do this. That's what my mind tells me. And so I'm now in the process of thinking of all these things I want to do and just dipping my toe into the first steps of doing them. And I have to keep reminding myself, no, I can do this. No, I have manifested a perfect situation for myself. They are going to say yes. They are going to want to do this. Stevie Wonder is going to cry when he hears it. Like I start like now just like, what do you, what do I really want? He's going to cry when he hears it. Other people are going to listen to it and think it's really interesting. And the record label is going to give me whatever I need to get it done. You know, like, and so I'm always like talking myself off the ledge with those things. And so it's kind of sad sometimes where I'm just like, I cannot believe that, that I was hurt that bad that I am still talking myself off the ledge with those things. Like it makes me sad sometimes, but also I like where I am. But I said that a moment ago, I, I'm, I like where I am when I remember where I am. I love that you share that because, you know, one of the things that I, w- I think would have helped me earlier on in my work, because I had so much fear to overcome. Um, your spiritual work or your musician work? Both. I mean, the musician work was interesting for me because it was the path I was convinced I was supposed to go on and I was trying to knock down the doors of the music industry and I had several friends who had careers with the music industry and all they had was horror stories. So in a weird way, I think I had a lucky escape um, if I'd have even got in. Um, and then this, the spiritual work blew up around me. I would never have imagined it happening. But then I kind of, like you said, I had to own am I going to stand publicly for this thing that I do, especially the channeling aspect, which was dominant back then? Um, Am I going to stand publicly for that? Because there's a whole load of people in my life who do not know that about me. I have great relationships with them, yet I know their ideology. And for some of them, that's going to be, it's going to put a barrier between me and them. And I don't want barriers. That's not what I'm about. So I had to go through that stuff. But I think any of us that do anything, especially when we look at someone like you who in our eyes, has produced beautiful work that we deeply appreciate. It's always interesting to hear the stuff that we go through with our own, our own minds, our own constructs, the things that we have to constantly break through as creatives to birth these things, kind of the labor pains that people don't see when they're just at the baby shower going, oh, what a lovely baby. I love its smile. You know, yeah. it's like, you're like yeah, you should have seen the smile on my face when I was in labor three days ago. So Mm-hmm. I love that you share that because from my perspective, sovereignty and power have always been something you've brought. When I was looking at some of your videos again, I was like, this is really interesting because what India brings for me, you bring a lot of light and a lot of angelic energy, but you back it up with a whole lot of power. Like it's not light, airy, fairy, angelic. No, it's not that kind of, it's the kind of angel that you want on your side if there's a fight. It's kind of like, there's a, there's a, you know what I mean? It's like, there's a, there's a, you're, you're a fierce spiritual warrior who brings a lot of love, but you, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a true authentic power there. So for me to hear that you're now taking that wider into your work, which has always been evident in the work that we know you for, but that you're now expanding that same energy into new roles for you, like the video editing or the, oh, this is how I deal with the, the record company. That gets me excited as a fan because what I just experienced with crazy and sacred space was like, Oh, wow. I'm, this is great. This is, I'm excited to see what India is going to do next. This is like a, so, so I'm, I'm excited for you and I'm selfishly excited for us. 
<laughs> Thank you. You know, when you were just saying about the power, I didn't feel like I was unempowered and I was pretending because you can't pretend a vibration. Um, but I was always having to fight really hard to get to my power, really hard. And so there was not room left over to like feel rested and good when I got home. And I was always recovering from the fight. And because one thing I was not gonna do was put something out that I was embarrassed by ever. Not a song, not a video. Like I just was like, well, you know how people say like their children make them be a better person. <laughs> For me, yeah. my music and my career has been that. Like there's nothing that I won't fight through or fight through with myself for the sake of my creative work. I just, I'll do it. If I have to look at me or look at them or fire them or fire me or I'll do it. And so I'm grateful because of that because I have something that guides me. But the fight was always so much that it was just like, I would like to do more, but I'm tired for these next two years. And so the other part of that is the angelic part because what I, What I feel like I do is like see the world through the eyes of my soul. And I tell those stories. I don't tell stories like in like the candid everyday way. Like you can look at the news or somebody else for that. And so like even when you were talking about the ideal relationship with crazy, for me, I was, yes, it's ideal. And I wanted to create a beautiful moment that made black men look like they can't care. Like, like, like the comment said, protectors of women's hearts. I wanted their skin to look beautiful. I wanted my skin to look beautiful. I wanted to create something that was beautiful because I, we know that utopia doesn't exist. It won't by the nature of the word utopia. And also that we go through, we go through um, moments. So like romance is a moment. Yeah, totally. And then there's the real conversations and then there's the washing the dishes and then there's the, you know. And so I think that it's a beautiful thing to, capture a moment of romance between two people and make their skin look beautiful. And so even like with the songs I write, like the song I am light or the ideal, the ideals that I sing about in my songs, the ideals, it always felt like I would sing them because I believe that's who we could be. Even while knowing it's not who we are. And, and as the older I get, the more I realize maybe it's not who we can be but it's still a good thing to, to envision. Mm. I don't know if I said that well, because no, also, because also for me during this crazy 2020, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say COVID pandemic, yeah. Kobe yeah. Bryant tornado that hit my the city yeah. in January, just this crazy 2020. Like take your pick, isn't it? Yeah. And, and there's going to be more to pick from, apparently. Yep. Um, during this time, I am having a personal awakening of realizing that there's a difference in just wanting to hold a vision of the best for humanity and having to believe that it's possible. Like, there's a difference. And so I, I'm now at a place where I'm choosing to hold the vision and asking myself what it looks like to be who the part of me 
that is ready to engage more of my fierceness and more of my like shadow side, more of the shadow energy, not engage, <laughs> willing to look at it, look yeah. at the shadow energy totally. and like see it and like um, see it, <laughs> acknowledge it creatively. I mean, so whoever, whatever that creation is, is what I feel is brewing. Cause I don't know that I can write little things today after this year and this last three years for me. Um, and so that's why I called myself mush. Like, you know, the caterpillar turns to mush before it turns into a butterfly mm -hmm. because I'm now at a place where I'm like my, my paradigm is shifting with how I approach my art and it's not fully shifted yet, but I'm interested to see what comes out. And also when you said angelic and power together, it was something that I really need to hear because, you know, words mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And angelic doesn't mean light, fluffy, always. It's uh, angels are warriors too. And so when you talk about that fierceness, I feel like it's just kind of part of my expression naturally, but I keep wondering what it's like when I embrace it, that really embrace the fierceness. And a friend of mine the other day, bought something wonderful to my attention, which I thought about, but when he said it, I, he said it when I needed to hear it. He was talking about Nina Simone and because we know her as a warrior, but she started out a quintessential jazz singer, singing jazz standards, singing, you know, playing prodigious piano and singing jazz standards. She dressed in the little pencil skirts and had her hair curled and that's who she was. And then the civil rights happened and something broke in her. And that's, and that's who we know her to be. And I'm not saying that I, I don't know. I don't need to know. I'll let it emerge as it does. But it, interesting to hear through your eyes that I've been doing it all along, but also excited to see what more is there. Because it still does feel angelic. I still do feel like I want to say my prayer and go into that space and bring the songs in. I still do. Also, maybe I'm ready to tell other stories or maybe I'll write more I Am Lights. I don't know, <laughs> but I'm open. And you know what the beauty of it is, you know, so one of the things that I learned early on from my guides who I channel, and they've said this like publicly when I've done like messages from them that are recorded, they say the words aren't that important. They say it's the frequency. And so no matter what your lyrics are in the next couple of years, the frequency of your vibration when you sing is going to be encoding this experience. And I, I think for me, you know, I don't know when you last saw little things, but if you just watch the last minute, minute and a half of that video, <laughs> you might see what I saw because, you know, I was, I was coming to have this conversation with you. I knew, and we're going to have to stop in a second, but I knew we didn't have much time. So I was like, okay, I just want to make sure that I, tune in as much as I can to, to hopefully hold the right space for this conversation for you. And it was so, it was one of those like soul moments for me when I saw you walking off into the crowd and I was like, oh, and I just, I saw the powerful angel energy that has always been there and that perhaps we could see and that perhaps you're now expressing in, in, a, in, a, in a wider way. But I hear you. Thank I mean, you. everything you said, I think is true for me and for anybody who's alive right now in 2020. We're all being shaken loose and reborn in deeply uncomfortable and painful and 
sometimes traumatizing and sometimes euphoric and wondrous <laughs> connected ways. It's like, you know, welcome to the planet right now. Yeah. Can I just tell you this, that when I was in my twenties, I became really good friends with a clairvoyant reader. Mm. And I just called him my godfather because he's much older than me, but we just became good friends. And so as my career started, he was like someone I really leaned on. He's the first person who taught me about meditation. And um, so funny, I just remember so many things about myself this week, because after the Grammys and like the heartbreak of all of it, because it wasn't that I didn't win, it was that I was seeing how people are. And the, I was invited to present at the Oscars. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not doing anything else. Mm. And I got invited to go to this studio in Jamaica where they were like, you can bring your band. And it was off in the mountains of Jamaica. So it was all flights paid for, studio paid for. We just want you to come. And so they, we had three meals a day, like cooked by this wonderful chef. And we had our own little cabins and we could go into the studio and make music. We were just hanging out in Jamaica. And I took my godfather and we were walking to the beach and he said, um, it's time. What do you, what do you want to learn? And I said, I want to learn how to really be in communication with my spirit guides because I feel like I'm asked to make all these decisions and I just guess. I don't want to guess. I want it to come from a place that means something. So we started meditating on the beach that day. I was 27. And um, because of this long stretch of um, time I've spent meditating and being able to how do I say this? Fellowship with my future self sometimes. Oh, Fred, mm -hmm. I'm talking to you. To be able to fellowship sometimes with my future self. Um, I would see visions of myself in my mid-50s. So exactly, I was, it was always 54 was the age. So 10 years from now, which back then it was 20 years from now. And or 30 years from now back then, really. And I saw myself like still wearing white still wearing white head wraps because it's still what made me feel right. And, but the world, I had like a feeling tone of how the world was. And so I remember asking my godfather, I said, do you think there could ever come a time? <laughs> I forgot about this. I said, do you think there could ever come a time when America would not be the world's number one superpower? And he was like, oh yeah, like it, it, at some point it's gonna be China. But this was, you know, 10 years ago. And I was like, you think so? Like, could it really happen? And, then, and I asked him that because it, was, it wasn't like a psychic thing. Like, I was like, superpower. It was like a feeling of what the world felt as I was walking through it at 54. And so, and I remember I would say to my friends, we all need to travel before they close the borders for some reason. But I would never think of a pandemic or a superbug. Like my dad's wife, she's a nurse. They call it superbugs. I would never know anything about that. And, but now I'm... Also, the flip side of that is I would see things in myself, like who I was and what I was capable of doing and how I interacted with young people and even like how I walked and how I stood and what my body looked like and all these things, like I could see it or I could feel it. And, but I never could see a pathway to it. Cause you know, at 34, I would think that would be so cool. Like if I could be anything like a Cicely Tyson or if I could grow like to be like a Maya Angelou or like somebody like that, like, can I be like one of them or, but cause my grandparents, my grandmothers were like that. Like they had that very dignified quality. They were very well-spoken. They served the community just, and so they were that. And so I thought, could I be like that? And so now I can kind of, I'm starting to see 
how the world can be what I felt. And I'm also seeing how I could actually be that thing that I saw. But it's not just that I, I, I knew back when I saw the vision that I could, but I'm starting to see the actual pathway to it. It's like even like the announcement the other day that no one can go into, no Americans can get into Europe. I was like, I've been thinking this all along, but I didn't know the pathway to it. But again, like with who I see myself as 10 years from now, I was thinking of it all along, but I couldn't see the pathway to it. But I'm just now starting to see and feel her. And it's helping me to really appreciate all of the pain because wisdom comes from that. And wise is what I always, always wanted to be. Like I wanted to be like my grandmother. So I wanted to be able to have an answer, to be able to hear people, to be able to hear them beyond the words they were saying, to be able to just sit with them and make them feel good. Whenever we went to Memphis, I would take my band um, to my great grandmother's house. She lived to be a hundred. And I would take them to her house. And uh, they would, because my band was very, very, most of, a lot of them were Christians, very Christian-y, very. Um, and I grew up, you know, in a Christian household, but I have more expansive spiritual views just because of who I am. And so it would be sometimes like a rub between me and them. They would be like, well, the Bible says this, you know, you have like rub. But I would take them to my grandmother's house and they would just be, <laughs> my great grandmother. And they would always say, I felt the presence of Jesus and she was just in the kitchen stirring the pot. Like, no, she had us coming to her bedroom and I, y'all, y'all need to meet India's great grandmother. We were just sitting in her bedroom talking and it felt like the presence of angels were in that bedroom. And I would just be like, she was just being herself. And I always wanted to be like that as I became an elder. And I'm just now starting to see how life is shaping me into the potential to be that person. So I don't like this COVID. I do not like these protests. They've really been hurting my heart. I don't like the, my own experiences of institutionalized racism and how that was cracked open. I don't like it, but I do like it. Yeah. I don't like it, but I do like it. So it's been an interesting time. (laughs) Interesting time. I love you sharing that because, you know, when you were talking a minute ago, uh, we were talking about something a few minutes back and I just had this image of you in the coming decade. And and I thought, oh, there's just going to be so much support for you. I think it was when you you said about, you know, the record company and being supported. and, and And I thought it makes sense that that's leaving her. Because this coming decade, I just see so much support coming in for you. Mm. And yeah, right now, maybe you're learning to allow it in at the next level. But um, just on a personal level, I love the image that you share of yourself 10 years from now. Because I'm like, all right, if India is still going to be here in 10 years, I'll still be here too then. I, I want to see what she... <laughs> I'm like, I'll stick it out a bit longer. What's she, what's she doing? You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. we're just having this conversation with these friends and it's like we're in these predicted transformational times. And, and it is so important to vision our future because a lot of our, um, I feel, a lot of our encouragement around visioning a future for ourselves and for this planet is, is being taken away from us in certain ways. And I think it's really important to move against that and to, to be able to vision a, a brighter future for 
the whole planet than, than we're seeing right now. And I don't know how that's going to look. And I don't think you have to try and save the world by yourself. I think you just have to lean in to what, you, what you're doing in the beehive and what you feel compelled to do in the beehive. And that way we will, you know, we will, we will be able to bring about the best probable outcome that we could as, as a group. So yeah, I'm, I'm down for seeing where you are in 10 years time and I'm, I'm happy <laughs> to get that for you, but I also really feel the truth of that for you. Thank you. I'm down to see where you are in 10 years too. Well, we'll, we'll check it and we'll both go, Whoa, we're still here. <laughs> Can you believe this? <laughs> Can I tell you my favorite quote right now? Yeah. I, I really believe it came to me out of a lot of prayer because again, my personal pain has been around the awakening of my naivete. Because like envisioning a better future, I already believe we were headed in that way. Not that we're not, but I never saw, I just believe we were better. I really did believe we were better. I really did. Um, and so I've you know, been in that place of prayer. Like, well, if I believe, if I really believe that, what else have I been believing that's not true? And how can I shift my way of seeing the world where I can still see what really is here and not lose my faith? <laughs> like, how do I do both of those? Because I don't want to just be like, well, forget all of it. Then I'm just going to go to the beach. Why? Why? Why do all this? I don't want to do that either. Although I thought about it because I could just go to the beach. It's a choice. It's a choice. Um, but the quote is from um, Rabindranath Tagore. And he said, I've been saying it wrong, so I wrote it down because I've been paraphrasing it. I want to make sure I said it right this time. He who plants a tree, there she goes, the one who plants trees, the one who plants trees, knowing that he will never sit in their shade, has at least started to understand the meaning of life. Mm. The one who plants trees, knowing that he will never sit in their shade has at least started to understand the meaning of life. For me, I need, I really, cause I've been, you know, I've been having like a, a dark night of the soul, like really being, really accepting that this is what it's been and this is what it is, this is what we were headed towards. It didn't matter how much you thought it's, this is what it is. And so I, choose to continue to plant trees because it's what I want to do. Hmm. But also it makes me want to do it with less sacrifice and more joy. Because hmm. the music industry required a lot of me. Because like you have to like push really hard or you don't get anywhere. Yeah. And now that I'm at a place where I'm more free and I can also have the number one song at radio, my hope is that I can do work and be productive, but do it with a lot more joy in these next 10 years, just more joy. I just want to do it with more joy. I want to feel better while I'm doing it. I still want to do it though. And you will, you will. And I feel that really truthfully for you. It's interesting the last, I feel like I've never had as much joy and freedom in my work this last, especially this last 18 months than ever really? before. More yeah. than ever before. Oh, totally. But I had a lot of personal unpicking to do. You know, I had to, like you, the, the, the tiredness or the, you know, sacrifice isn't quite the right word for me. But yeah, I had to kind of just uh, shake some things loose in my personality that the, the, the growth of the work allowed me to come to. Like, you know, without the growth of the work, I would never have been able to shake it off. 
I would never have been able to be in the right energy formula to know that I could shake it off. So, so I really relate to that. And I think that quote is the perfect place for us to conclude, even though I could talk to you for hours. Um, <laughs> thank you for all the beautiful trees that you have planted. They have thank you. deeply helped my heart and the hearts of so many. And I'm thank grateful you. you're here on this planet, India Ari. Thank you. All the same to you. Yeah. yeah. All the same to you. And I want to say to you that there's a certain type of inspiration that you bring to me too, because to, I have like the music stuff and then the spiritual stuff is behind it and you have the inverse. Mm. And it's like just knowing that there's anybody walking a path, anything similar to mine feels, you know, it's good to know that you have tried. Mm. So I was happy to talk to you today. I had a lot of things I wanted to ask you, but I was like, maybe he doesn't want to talk about his personal thing, but maybe for a part two sometime. But uh, yeah. thank you too for all the trees that you have planted. Of course, yeah, thank you. And hey, anytime, but I did not want, I, I, people will be dying to hear from you for this conversation. <laughs> Maybe we'll do another one or, or, you know, but anytime. And yeah, thank you so much. Big, big love. And thanks for thank being you. here. Thank you. And send my love to Stephen too and Wendy too. I will. Okay. Thank you. You have been listening to Impact the World. For more of my work, please visit leeharrisenergy.com. This August, I'm doing something a little bit different. From the 18th to the 26th, me and my team are bringing to you a virtual soul magic experience. We've run soul magic retreats for the last four years, and we would have been going to Costa Rica this October for our fifth one. But because we can't, and also because I've been feeling a calling to hand over the microphone to my guides, the Zs, a little more of late, we have created a brand new experience for you called Transmissions 2020. In it, there will be five live broadcasts which will be entirely channeled. These broadcasts will focus on you accessing more of your magnetic energy. I've chosen to broadcast all of these live because that way I know the material will be specially curated for those of you who show up to take this experience with us. Added to this, we have for you a special music album. It's called Transmissions 2, and it's sound healing pieces from Devor Bozik with my spoken words weaved throughout. And when you do sign up, the first track from the Transmissions sound healing album will be available for you immediately. So to find out more about what Transmissions 2020 entails, you can visit transmissions2020.com and if it resonates for you to take this special journey with us, we'll look forward to welcoming you there.